This episode contains high sodium. We even put a salt shaker next to it on the menu. Please eat at your own risk. This is Secret Ingredients with your hosts, Kate Eirich and Kausta Vedantam. So when we were talking about this episode, you pitched to me, like, let's talk about the entire culture of Japan and Japanese food. And I was like, well, (laughs) I mean, that's a very broad subject, but I'll trust you. And then on the way into the studio, you were like, you know, I've been thinking about it more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about it. And let me like, let's talk about only one thing that I really love about Japanese food culture. And it's not sushi. See, everyone always goes to sushi. When you think about Japanese food, sushi's one that they'll bring up. One, of course, would be ramen. Yes, ramen. Ramen, the food of gods. I'm biased. I am biased. I will I will say that, like, David Chang is one of the chefs that I look up to. And he is very famous for, you know, ramen. And I just, like adore everything about ramen because it's it's so complex but like it's also so simple and like duality and it's like oh my god the duality of man is contained in a single bowl of ramen (laughs) yes yes that's exactly yes yes (laughs) yes fantastic i don't know much about the duality of man and how it relates to ramen to be quite honest in fact, I would say that my, the extent of my ramen knowledge, when it comes to eating it, very knowledgeable. I've eaten plenty mm. of ramen. Absolutely delicious. Uh, when it comes to preparing ramen, uh, basically what I've got is you uh, buy it in, like, the orange packet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's two classes of ramen. There's, exactly. like, an instant ramen and the restaurant ramen. And what we're talking about today is the restaurant ramen. Traditional ramen, if you will. Yes, traditional ramen and as i've informed you i know nothing about it so where would you start so first i'd probably start at japanese food in general and then just narrow it down from there japanese food is a projection of feel onto their geography so japan is an island and because it's an island there's a heavy presence of seafood and they also use a lot of drying fermenting and aging techniques to sort of make their existing set of ingredients to stretch those flavors that they can get from those ingredients as much as they can and ramen in particular is something that i really like because it's something that's very very complex and there are so many different methods of preparation that are put into it but ultimately it comes out as this one thing with one singular goal and that goal like the goal of most of the food in japanese cuisine is to bring out like maximum umami flavor Mm. yeah so umami flavoring is a very important part of flavor that a lot of cultures actually tended to neglect more so yeah so like basically ramen is noodles in a soup but it can be broken down really into five parts it's the noodles the broth the tare which is the sort of flavoring for the broth, the oil, and the toppings. Mm -hmm. And um, those five things sort of encompass a bowl of ramen. And that's why extreme care is put into each individual part. For example, like the broth is not just one broth, as many people would have you believe. 
The broth is usually made out of multiple broths, multiple stocks like chicken and pork is a common combination, and dashi, which is konbu and bonito flakes steeped in water. See, I would love to talk about some broths. Yeah, so, so let's talk about broths then. What yeah, you so got for us? Uh, very specifically about uh, bonito flakes, right? Uh, mm. Bonito flakes is the name that is given to... Well, not it's not katsuobushi, but it is a uh, fish that is prepared the same way that katsuobushi is prepared. Um, katsuobushi, though, traditionally is made from skipjack tuna, mm-hmm. whereas bonito flakes is made from young bonito because it's cheaper and still imparts a lot of that flavor. Um, and that very specific flavor, that's an umami flavor, but it also imparts a flavor called kokumi. Kokumi. Which I would love to talk about kokumi. I, I have never heard of this. Please. We're talking about Japanese cuisine and Japanese food, right? Mm -hmm. They recognize six distinct flavors. The uh, original four basic tastes, sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And some of you have been what about spicy? Spicy is not a flavor. Yeah. Spicy is categorized as bitterness in Indian culture. Is it? Yeah. In Indian culture and in conventional culture. Flavor-wise, scientifically, spiciness is considered chemistesis as opposed to... Mm a yeah. taste sensation because it, it goes through a completely different channel so it's not flavor it's not taste it is its own special thing mm. and it's what the coolness of mint is that pungency uh so like garlic wasabi yeah but the japanese sweet salty bitter sour right mm-hmm. they also have umami which we've talked about a lot and umami's been embraced by the cuisine world like people now are like yes savory umami mm-hmm. this is a base flavor yeah and everyone's talking about umami now kokumi i think is a better analog for what you were talking about indian culture that they have mm. one flavor that's uh enhances all of the other flavors right mm-hmm. yeah and chapata yeah chapata thank yeah. you that mouthfulness of chapata that's more what kokumi is kokumi is it's a flavor profile that enhances the other five tastes by magnifying and lengthening them, right? And yeah, yeah, they that's even very, chapata, yeah. Yeah, it's chapata, and it's very specifically even uh, referred to as mouthfulness. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Very specifically, that's, that's chapata. And that it actually, we've already been able to see that there are um, specific receptors in our mouths that sense calcium. They're named calcium-sensing receptors. Oh, very aptly named. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, unlike most things scientists yeah. name. Good job on that one, guys. And they are they are specific receptors for kokumi flavors. So like people who are working on this stuff and studying it like from a scientific perspective, they know kokumi is a thing. And katsubushi, it's like one of the biggest things that will help enhance mouthfulness. Kokumi, chapata. Mm, yeah. It's wild that in just the broth alone, we are like embodying Every flavor that the Japanese use in their own cuisine, which is even more than most people even, like, recognize as flavors. Yeah. So we went over the broth. Uh, the tare, the broth is usually unseasoned. It's just, like, a base, the body for the soup. Yeah. But the tare is the thing that they put in before they put in the broth. It's the seasoning. The tare usually has stuff like dried fish products, different types of salts, or it could have miso, which is fermented grains and beans, or even soy sauce. So all these things that are very, very high in glutamic acid. And I was reading, you know, through an article, as, as I do when um, researching for this show, and I came across a term that I'd like for you to, like, give me your 
opinion on. I don't know if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called synergistic nucleotides. They apparently enhance glutamic acid. Okay. Talked about uh, substances that enhance glutamic acid. Very specifically, we're talking about the fact that MSG is something that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are many compounds that do that. A lot of those compounds are nucleotides. Oh, so it's just referring to those things. Yeah, it's because... it's a, it's a nice word to refer to those stuff. Inosinic acid is what causes the umami flavor, and inosinic acid enhances glutamates. So it all works mm. together in a big circle. Yeah, basically there are like infinite combinations and infinite ways to like actually flavor a ramen broth and like tare recipes specifically, the seasoning for ramen broth are very specific to like individual chefs. The other parts of ramen would be the noodles. Yes. The noodles are special actually. Please. Um the noodles are made with alkaline water. So water with like a uh, higher pH. Mm-hmm. higher ph you got it uh yeah uh so water with a higher ph and they call it consway and really just like calcium carbonate i think mm-hmm. yeah. um i was about to ask it's probably a calcium carbonate that yeah, make, no. makes it alkaline water yeah. right no so like they just want like uh whisk in some calcium carbonate in some regular water let it sit and then they mix that with the flour that they use to make the ramen noodles and then that's how they make the ramen noodles. But the thing about these ramen noodles is that these noodles will be resistant to dissolving in the ramen broth, which is essential for a good yeah. ramen. They have, they have a certain pull to them, a little give to them, a little bite, a little character, if you will. And um, so we have two things left. Yes, we do. Two things. We have the toppings, yes. which is... Like, so many toppings. Yeah. So many diverse things. So, like, traditionally, I know when I go to get ramen, I always I always have a piece of seaweed in there. Mm-hmm. I always have uh, either, like, the tofu that I asked for or the uh, pork normally. The chashu pork, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you get, like, your... Um, bamboo shoots. Yeah, the Venma. bamboo shoots. Those are very, very important. Mm-hmm. And also, either because I paid extra for it or because it comes on there, you have your uh, you have your soft-boiled egg, too. Yes, soft-boiled yeah. egg, always. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, that is, so you already have your beautiful base, right, that's, like, rich in umami flavor. And then you have your noodles, which are, like, perfect, great mouthfeel and chew. Yeah, and they don't fall apart. Exactly. Our broth, we spiced it just right. Exactly. And now the toppings are kind of either up to the customer or up to the chef. We've gone through four parts, I think. We have. By now. The last one. Mm -hmm. It's the oil. It's the oil. The oil. You said oil earlier, and mm. my mind kind of went, okay, so we have a broth, we have the seasonings, we have the oil. Explain the oil to me. Okay, so the oil is pretty much the most, like definitively, the most overlooked part in ramen broth pretty much ever because no one really notices it. Yeah. But it's really important because... The oil sort of provides an insulating layer for the soup underneath it, and it keeps the soup hot. But also, when you get the noodles out of the broth, the oil sort of clings to that and gives an additional flavor. Also, the oil's on the very top, always floating. So if you want to add, like, a little something else, like a little je ne sais quoi of, you know, 
Like you, you, you made a ramen. You don't want it to, to taste too garlicky, but you want a little bit of a little whiff of garlic. You put garlic oil on the top, and because of that steaming hot broth on the bottom, it's going to heat the oil to release some of you know the smells、mm-hmm. and aromas, and then that's how you get that garlic flavor.、Uh, this is very interesting to me,、mm. as a scientist. <laughs> As a scientist. As a scientist, this interests me a lot. I mean, like this is like basic, basic fifth grade, and they're talking about chemistry in yeah, quotes. Exactly. And they're talking about、uh, like you know oil and water, right? Oil, water,、mm-hmm, dumplings、yeah. sit on top of each other. But like to think that something like so basic, right, can be used as part of the cuisine that it's、That's、not going to cling. It's, it's not going to yeah, and that there's、um, certain compounds that wouldn't dissolve. In water, wouldn't be able to cling to stuff, and would just float layer over the top, and it's a layer that you can fill with flavor, just like you were saying. Yeah. And whenever you pull something out, it pulls it up too because it can stick to the noodle, but not the water. Exactly. And see, when what I was saying about like that aroma, that consistent aroma, and like that consistent like when you pull a bite of noodles into your mouth, the flavor that coats them, that's the oil. And so many people. Don't like give credit to that, but even that's thought about. And everything about ramen, like if you know nothing about it, it gets put in front of you, and you're like, "Well, it's noodles in a bowl with broth." But how hard could it be? There's so many more steps. There's so, there's so much more process behind it no, and no. thought that has to go into each individual portion. A lot of cooking, you know, like you talk about baking or food or you know、mm-hmm. any of these things, sushi even. It's like. It's always a very specific process, but、mm-hmm. ramen seems different to me. There's so it's because there's so many individual smaller aspects, and there's so many ways to do those individual aspects that when you're creating your own bowl of ramen, it's extremely hard to make one specific bowl, and it's it's a boon and a curse because you can both customize it to exactly how you want it to be. But you can also customize it to exactly the way you want it to be. So if you have an idea in your head, you might not get that exact flavor that you're looking for, even after like a hundred tries, because there's so many little tiny things that you can change. Like, like an artist when they make a painting, right? There's always something you want to change, right? It's、exactly. it never quite comes out exactly how you think of it in your head, and、There's, it seems ramen isn't this thing where you either mess it up or you don't. Ramen seems like it's like. It's a living, breathing thing. It's it's very, very specific, and it's very, very personal at the same time. And it's super hard because there's no right or wrong with ramen. Because like, there are general guidelines, general rules, but in the end, it comes down to what you want to do. This has been Secret Ingredients, a WNYU production. I would like to give a shout out to every single person who has ever made even a halfway decent bowl of ramen. Join us next week when we add another ingredient to the list.